Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Hi, Erica. Hi, Katie. Happy Book Talk Day and Hump Day. Haven't done that in a while on a Wednesday. Okay, okay. <laughs> Is it not? Do we not call it Hump Day anymore? Is it not cool? No, I think it's fine. It's not cool. <laughs> oh. Shit. <laughs> Welcome to Book Talk. Book Talk is a weekly podcast where you read a section of a book and then chat about it with you on Sunday nights. We finished Clara and the Sun. Um, sorry, guys. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, um, oh no. It wasn't what we expected or wanted, and I feel like everyone who read this with us was like, um, oh, no. dot, dot, dot. <laughs> you know, I kind of knew that this was coming because one of my um, friends and a member of a lab that I'm in had finished it ahead of time and I said like oh what did you think and she was like it was interesting and I was like oh no (laughs) (laughs) oh no that's not the response that you want no um so we will be getting into the ending of this book and a little bit of the last section our thoughts on the last section and then we'll have our guest Jen to talk a little bit more about it In contrast, or for what we've learned, um, nothing happens in this section. (laughs) Okay. Uh, We meet some other characters. We go into the city. We go to a diner and meet Vance, who was Rick's mom's old lover, who um, gets in a weird fight we know nothing about with Rick's mom. Um, Clara gives some of her brain juices to potentially save Josie. Josie gets really, really sick, and then she gets better. Um, eventually getting well enough to leave Clara behind and go to college. Um, her and Rick grow apart. Rick starts to find out who he really is. And it ends with Clara sadly in a junkyard contemplating her life and happy memories when she was at one point with Josie. We had said this, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, but this book was setting up so many mysteries. It reminded me of the TV show Lost where you're watching it and thinking, wow, how are they going to pull all of this together? And the answer is they're not going to pull it all together. (laughs) And the answer is they're not going to do any of that. They're just going to leave everything you've ever wanted to know open to interpretation. We'll never know why there were polar bears on the island. We will never know. I think my biggest gripe with this book, which I probably will say 17 times, is that Each of the individual ideas that Kazu is talking about are super interesting. Climate change, artificial intelligence, human consciousness, societal expectations, inequality. Each of those are really interesting, rich topics, but they're all so quickly brushed over or not completed. Like the thought never reaches the end that I don't know what to make of this book. I'm really confused about what Kazu's point is. You know, we have Rick running off with his friends on one end, Josie running off to college on the other end, and Clara lying in a junkyard. And it's like, what is the take home here? Who is, you know, who is happy? And then we have this, you know, the last scene, which seems like it should have so much symbolism, is the manager coming to find Clara, having this conversation with her, confirming that Clara is really unique and talented and special. And then just being like, okay, well, bye. And turning around and and limping away, which is, again, like, why is she limping? What does that mean? Like, I thought maybe, okay, the manager is going to tell her something important. Like, 
you know, some, some kernel of wisdom in that moment or take Josie with, or take Clara with oh her. Oh my God. Yeah. Why didn't she take Clara? No, I totally agree with all of that. I think for me, why I love to read books is because I like to be immersed in thoughts about something specific. So if we're going to tackle what parenthood means or what motherhood means or how the world is changing or something like if we're going to tackle a, a subject or a big theme, like I want to be enveloped in that to where the point where it makes me question what I believed about that theme in general, where it makes me reflect and, you know, think critically about what I know or what I've learned until this point or get so lost in a story that like you're feeling all the feels or the emotions like we talked about last time. And I just feel like this story didn't do it for me because there was not one realized theme at all. And so there wasn't anything I could like really feel like I knew enough about. Everything was so vague that I couldn't even really immerse myself in like what does being an AF or what does the advancement of technology mean for society today? Because I was trying to figure out like what does an AF look like and what is lifted and who are all these, like every question was unanswered. So it just, when every question is unanswered, it doesn't leave you any room to ask your own questions. I also thought this section in particular, the writing was really chaotic. When they're in the city and Clara is observing the people in the theater and there's multiple conversations happening at the same time. There's Rick and his mom having a conversation. There's Chrissy having a conversation with Josie. Josie trying to introduce Clara to the waitress who can tell her where the store is. But it didn't happen in like a logical flow of one thing's happening and then the other. Instead, we got one sentence of each where it seemed that Clara's having a conversation with this waitress at the same time she's having a conversation with someone else at the same time she's listening to someone else and it just didn't make any sense like, I couldn't wrap my brain around, where are they all standing? Well, and I think that was the point of this section because I think she had poured the food out of her head. So now you're supposed to understand that she's more confused. But what's hard about that is that you don't, that's not the only thing you're thinking about because you're also wondering about the pollution machine and Josie and Rick and like, you're trying to figure out 15 themes in every paragraph. So if the only theme was specifically Rick getting into college and what being lifted means for education, when that happens to Clara, you'd be so in tune with the way that her brain thinks, you would know that that was why, but there was so much going on that you can't even like, again, figure that out or like, not even that you can't figure that out, but like, you don't even get that point. It doesn't even like come across clearly that, I don't even know if that's what he was doing. I'm just guessing, but like, it doesn't come across clearly what he's doing because he's doing 20 things. Then we have this long conversation in the diner with Helen and Vance, which is clearly it all starts off fine. They're like gazing lovingly at each other. Then they start talking and getting into it. And it, clearly there's like a lot of um, issues, bad blood between the two of them. But again, why? Why are we with Helen and Vance in this moment? What does this scene tell us? You know, one thing I can pull out of this conversation that I thought was interesting is that Vance is so offended that they would ask him to do this favor and to basically put in a good word for Rick at Atlas Brookings. Um, and yet he doesn't realize how structural privilege has prevented and allowed certain people into the program. And I think that's a sort of an interesting duality where we tend to think of you know, we tend to think of racism just top of mind, given everything that's been going on in the news. Um, 
we tend to think of racism as like one person has a bad attitude and they've got these like little flaws and like that's what we should be mad about is this one act of favoritism or this one act of racism when really the entire structure is what the issue is like the entire structure of this society is what is unfair but again we get this we get this in one drop and then it's never talked about again so it you know is that the theme that we're supposed to take away from this rick has clearly is clearly disadvantaged by not being lifted and does not have the same opportunities. And so, yes, is asking for favoritism, but really is just asking for equity. And, and that is seen as a bad thing, but like he is not being given a fair chance. He is not being given an an equitable chance at this. And he's asking for that. He's not asking for a free ride. He's just like, please look at my ideas and give me the same chance. Like give me the stepping stool to be on the same level as everybody else. And so it's, it's interesting. He's punished for that. But these parents who get their kids lifted are just consistently rewarded for having made that decision. And there, I mean, there are a lot of parallels you can draw to and talk about with that. But again, that's one conversation in a diner. Like what is happening here? (laughs) Uh. I also, I also have a real problem with the diversity or lack of diversity in this book. Other than two characters, it's sort of assumed that everybody is white. I will say they have like white typical names. Again, we don't know. We do know that um, her dad is white because Paul is like living in a society with all other white people. Then we have two other characters. We have Melania. Un- like, what is that? Where is she from? I don't know. It's never explained. Now, this is the other thing. The second person who is non-white is the person who works at the diner, who's very clearly specified as a black man. So we have two potentially non-white characters who are in service, low-income roles for the quote unquote, potentially white people. And I have seen no one talk about this with this book. And it's just... Once you start to pay attention to what we present in media, it is absolutely abhorrent. Like, why is this book in 2021, we can't have a single lifted black person? And that's not the point of the book. Like, it's just, again, it's like, why then why mention anybody's race? Then don't mention anybody's race and we can assume whatever we want. That's what right? I was going to say. Is like, I think what's hard about this is when I when we were first talking about it, when I first read this question, I was like, yeah, but we don't know that any of those kids aren't non-white, right? Like we don't know that they're white and we can't like assume that. But the only time that I feel like race is mentioned is when somebody is not white. So that tells you that everybody else is because the only time they mention it is when they see someone at the diner, you know, when the server at the diner is walking up or, or whatever and then it is blatantly noticed by Clara and we're seeing the world through a robot's eyes. So is her default seeing white people also because she never mentions that they're white. And then when she sees the black server, that is what she says, a large black man. And so it is very interesting. Um, I think that the only time that race is mentioned is, is in the context of it being non-white, which is like obviously a huge issue by pretending that that is the norm, the majority, the usual the what the robot should process as natural or whatever. Like there's obviously a whole lot of issues with that. So I completely agree. And I think it is, it is crazy. And I also am just like, how are we, how is that still a thing that we're doing in books? where like knowing the server or the housekeeper's race, the way the housekeeper spoke her accent, that way it was written. What did that add to us for the story? How did that help us to get anything out of this? Like it didn't. So what are you doing with that? What is the point of that? 
I was listening to this other podcast that I really, really highly recommend called Still Processing. And they were talking about representation in Disney movies on the episode from this week. I'll put the link in our show notes. And they talked about this artist, um, Alicia B. Wormsley, who made an art installation that just said there are black people in the future. And it was really a commentary on I think it started off as a joke is what I've heard, you know, with her and her friends, but it became something so much bigger when you realize that so much of science fiction basically writes people of color completely out of the future. And so much of science fiction is written by white men that like, that's all of the characters. I mean, think about like the majority of sci-fi movies. Um, And it's like, okay, black people, (laughs) black people are here. Of course they're in the future, but Again, it's like what our defaults and our biases are. And, you know, I was really hoping that given all of the anti-Asian biases and racism that's been happening, that we would also have more Asian representation in this book. And I'm kind of heartbroken that we didn't. I think, yeah, that's exactly what the issue is. But I think one point you made that I wanted to reiterate is that that happens where people of color are not written about or are not here when you have one race predominantly writing the stories. Because... You'd also don't want, you know, old white men writing about young black people and young Asian people. Like, I don't want to hear their voices telling those stories. In order for there to be more diversity in the characters, we need to celebrate and help there to be more diversity in the authors and in the creators. And we know that there are. We know that's not the issue. It's how do you get recognized? How do you, how does society as a whole not let those creators be as recognized? And that is also another issue. I think it makes sense it's also again it's like these biases are in everybody it's not a it's not just a white person again exactly to what I was saying earlier like this isn't a one book issue this is a systemic issue that when we think of a character who is a housekeeper one thing comes to mind I just want to add that you know I I just want people to start to pay attention to it because really once you start to notice it's really jarring And it becomes really strange to read a book where it's all white people. And you realize this is an author with a limited perception. And this is an editor who didn't say, hey, (laughs) it's weird that we have Melania Housekeeper. Like, you know, this black man who works at the diner is the only person whose race is explicitly described why not just take it out? Right. And you're not telling their story. Like you're not telling a story about Melania's, the housekeeper's journey. You're not telling her story. She's not telling her story. She's a side character that doesn't have a significance except for that she's, they're trying to subliminally tell you that this is the place for somebody of her, of, of similarity to her. Which like, what is the point of telling me that subconsciously? Um, nothing good. Nothing good. Okay, I want the last thing I want to know is if you could take your best guess, your wildest guess, what is the point of this book in one sentence? Why do you think you wrote it? I think that this book is about our okay, this is gonna sound really crazy because it's a little bit out there and it's not any of the themes that I mentioned, but I'm gonna Harkin a guess that the point of this book is like the way that we abuse empathy in our society um because in the end you know we have Clara who is really the only person who's like thinking about everybody else and loving everybody else and she's almost like so pure in her devotion to the sun in her devotion to Josie 
and we everybody else in the book is abusing each other saying horrible things to each other getting in all these fights they're all so messy and Clara is the only one who's not and she gets shoved in a closet and thrown in a junkyard and it's sort of like this is I think that that's one of his angles is that we as a society don't value empathy and Clara that's what makes Clara unique and that's what basically has her in the end lying on the ground staring at the sun still thinking about her memories so a very dark take on our value of empathy as a society that's my guess <laughs> that's the most coherent thing that I can pull from the very beginning of Clara to the very end I just want everyone who's listening to know that that shit was unscripted. Like she just said that. <laughs> she just thought that and said it. I just, I don't have anything else to add. That's it. I have nothing else. Cue the music, Dan. We're done here. I'm Jen with two N's. I'm 29. Uh, I'm a nurse at Grant Medical Center in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I have a corgi. I'm a Sagittarius. Love my birthday. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I love books. Love this podcast. Aww. Okay, so what do you think of Kazu's writing style in general and how the book was written? I feel like I was, like, misled about this book a little bit. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I feel like I was told it was going to be, like, the book Her. I mean, the movie Her. Yeah. I don't feel like it was quite like that. <laughs> but, yeah, I love a good sci-fi book at times. But this was, like, sci-fi with, like, your own interpretation, the whole book. <laughs> Um, I felt like his writing was, like, easy to read per se, but was forcing myself to pick it up because the story was so boring. I wanted to know more about the characters. I wanted to know more about, like, being lifted. I felt like I was, like, each page I was like, okay, he's going to get into it. And then by page 250, I was like, he's not going to get into it. And it's just not going to be a thing. And I got to like figure it out for myself. But I, yeah, the whole time I was just like, I'm wanting more. And I felt like it was super vague and just a bit disconnected. I think what's really frustrating is that it's hard to get into his dystopian world or like this place that they're existing because everything is so vague. So instead of imagining the consequences of being in a world like that or imagining what it might be like, I feel like I'm constantly trying to figure out like literally what is happening and what is going on. I grew to hate the writing. I personally don't like that we were stuck in Clara's head the whole time. I found her like naivete to grow really irritating by the end. And I was just constantly confused. Like, I understand that Clara is a robot, so she is figuring things out as she's seeing them, and she walks you through that so many times, but eventually it's like, okay, just tell me the plot. 
like you were saying, Jen, like, I just want to know what's happening. I don't care that she's like, oh, that is a piece of paper folded. But actually, when I looked at it, it's a notebook. And you're like, just say it's a notebook. <laughs> just get to the point. I wanted to hear from like Josie. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to like hear about her story from her eyes too. That's a good point. Was Josie's mom the one that decided to have her lifted? It seems like it from the conversation with Rick in the kitchen towards the end. I just finished reading this. So it's like very top of mind because she asks Rick, like, do you think you won? Did I make the wrong choice? Basically, do you feel like your mom made the right choice by not lifting you? So I think it is like the lifting does involve gene editing to some extent. We get that in this last section. But in what way and why does it make them sick immediately? Like that part was really strange. There's a lot of themes that are covered in this book. Probably too many themes. Um, But Jen, one of the themes was about what separates a real human from an artificial human. Um, in your mind, what, what is that line? What does separate us from, a, you know, an AF, an artificial human? And are there ways in which Clara is better or worse than a real person or a, we- a real friend? The big thing between, like, robots or artificial friends are, like, usually they're not able to, like, have feelings or emotions. Um, but Clara obviously was, like, unique in that way. She was able to. I feel like the big thing is that, like, us as humans aren't able to, like, connect with them because there's, like, this point where you're, like, they are some sort of technology. They're not a human. I can't connect with you like I would a different, another human. No, that's so, that's really true because they do talk about that towards the end of the book, how like public opinion has turned against the AFs and now people like hate them. And it is sort of this, as soon as you know, it's not a real human, there's like a boundary of how much you empathize with them. Do you think that Clara was, you know, in what ways is Clara better than people? As an AF, you, at least towards like Josie, she like, cares so much about her and is empathetic to like almost a fault which I don't feel like is maybe a trait of all AFs but specifically with her I feel like she was willing to like risk her life or her like expiration date as an AF I don't really know by like giving her fluid behind the ear and like talking to the sun and I don't know, just really risking her, like, livelihood for her. No, I think you're right. It's funny how empathy is such a, like, positive trait in people. And yet with Clara, you're like, oh, my God, grow a backbone. You know, she's just, like, lying in the end. Spoiler. She's just lying in the junkyard. And is just, like, content to lay there and, like, think about her memories with Josie and when she's talking to the manager, is like, yeah, they were happy, so job done. Check the box. What else could there be? Or when she's like, when she's like in that closet, just because she was like oh. told to be in the closet, and then Josie's like, how you doing? And she's like, I'm great. And I'm just like, you're in a closet. <laughs> it seems as though when kids are quote unquote lifted in this book, they're being genetically edited to be the best version of a human. But what even is the best version of a human and what makes a perfect human? 
in my opinion, I think there are a lot of parallels here to today's use of social media. So everyone is trying to be this quote unquote perfect version of themselves instead of just humans who are very different um, in ways that are celebrated and cool and in right now, but they're also different in ways that are not. So as somebody who does not use social media, what do you think about this? Well, first off, obviously there's no like perfect person. And I think that's the problem with social media is that you're presenting yourself as a perfect person um, to the world or to your followers. Um, And so I feel like being your best self is being your most unique self or being your best like true self to who you really are. And like people don't do that on social media. They're literally just showing their highlight reels. Wait, why, why do you not use social media? I would be interested to hear. I had social media for obviously a really long time um, and I've gone back and forth and I ultimately land on the idea of like, well, A, you're on it day and night. You wake up, you're checking it, you're going to bed, you're checking it before bed. But then also you're just like comparing yourself to people or seeing this like again, highlight reel of people's lives and it's not real. And you're like, well, why isn't my life like this? Or like, what am I doing wrong? And then you're trying to also be this like best or like put out this best highlight reel when you're also not really living your life for yourself, kind of. Like, I feel like you're always like, living your life a little bit for other people too. There is like that, you know, popular question, like if, would you still go on vacation if you couldn't post about it? You know, it's like, what is, what is, what is, what are these experiences worth um, to us if we don't get to share them for likes? Um, Yeah, I do think, I mean, like my anecdotal, okay, I will say my opinion about social media has changed a lot lately. Um, I've gone from being like, it's fine to being like every single part of the internet I'm in, including like a workout Facebook group is extremely toxic. How is this possible? Um, but I do think like when I look at TikTok, I feel that kids like younger kids, these zoomers are much more authentic or real. You know, they're posting stuff with like no makeup, no filters, no editing, and just being like, vulnerable being more realistic and I'm seeing a lot more representation at least on that platform of people who look all different types of ways who act all different types of ways who wear all types of different things um but yeah I'll I'll be interested to see how that evolves I think our generation's like use of social media to present this highlight reel I just don't think it's sustainable I think people are already like breaking out of that which is a good thing I will say I did get a TikTok and I like the home improvement videos. <laughs> <laughs> so I I do hope that I like what you said, Erica. Like I hope that it becomes this thing where people are realizing that and they're like trying to show a more like realistic side of themselves because all the filters and you know taking it 10 different times, you know, your photo, your selfie, it's just not realistic, you know. With this gene editing 
liftedness, it reminds me a lot of CRISPR and CRISPR's this it's basically she's gonna win the Nobel for it, I'm sure. It's this um just gene editing software technology basically that you can use to edit human DNA. So it the woman who created it is based in the US where obviously like you can't go in and edit human DNA yet. Um, but someone in China has, and he basically edited two children, I think, without their parents really knowing, edited their DNA so that they're immune to HIV, which is like, cool, what the fuck? Like, we are not prepared to have that, like, ethical conversation about what, you know, what is eugenics, what is gene editing and also who is like able to pay for something like that for their children i mean that would be amazing on the level of like no one could get hiv again because like obviously that's a terrible thing but i think that the world needs to be very careful about that because like who can afford that and like is that now like a hierarchy of people who are editing and like also people have different genes because we're different and that's not a bad thing I think that it's it makes sense and is noble to want to eradicate HIV which or cancer, you know, HIV we know a lot about how to prevent and how to treat and people still cannot access those medicines. Like we are still missing a huge part of the population who is not on prep or who isn't having their viral load suppressed who have HIV and if we can't even figure that out now while we have technology to do that, what's going to happen once we add another technology to edit out of your system. It is just going to further marginalize the people who are already marginalized and hurt by this. Um, Like our healthcare system in general is hurt by that. I just think when you edit genes like that, you are just giving it to the people who can afford it, who can figure it out, can access it. One other point I'll make about this is like COVID vaccines right now. Like people who can figure out the internet, who have time all day to refresh their tabs. Like we put new COVID vaccines on our website at Fridays at like noon and people find them within 15 minutes with no advertising. They are sitting at their computers refreshing their tabs. But the people that we're missing are people in the black community, are older people who cannot access it and use media. It's like the same thing. You're by adding new technology when we can't figure out equity in our healthcare as it is, is only going to make that worse. Yeah, it's pretty clear cut when it's something like cancer. And then it's much harder when you're talking about like, you know, I have anxiety. And so, you know, I've thought about, okay, maybe I can donate my eggs and make some money. And you're like, what parent wants to pick eggs of a neurotic, super intelligent, but anxious person? Like, you know, I just, that is really stigmatizing for people who have specific Um, you know, maybe mental health issues or, you know, certain types of different abilities um, to think about. Um, So it's a super important question. I also think, you know, we're the worst at making decisions for our own kids. And I think that's part of what they get into in this book is like, it's very easy to talk in the abstract about ethical things that you would do. But when it comes to your own kids, people, ethics go out the window for people. You know, they don't care. They they want a healthy baby and they'll do anything to have that. So it's also like, when do we have this conversation? <laughs> it's not like when it's your child, because at that point, I just don't think that people act rationally or ethically. Where do you think he got the idea for being lifted? What parallels are there between being lifted and society today? 
I like to think that being lifted in society today is like that blue check mark on Instagram. I think it's hard because I feel like if the book would have gone more into detail about being lifted and about other people's experience about being lifted, it would, I don't know, make more sense. I, I don't think it's worth it from Josie's perspective because she was so sick and almost died. Um, I wish I could have known about her friends that were already like past that stage, but I don't. So just <laughs> shout out. <laughs> Nothing. Um, I think it's so hard to draw parallels this because my like instinct is to draw a parallel between this and being in a marginalized community. But I feel like we can't draw that parallel because that's not a decision, right? Like you are in a marginalized community because of who you are, not because of a decision that you make. And so it's like, I feel like, again, because we only know one perspective, it's hard to even draw the parallels. Because what, like, what would we compare it to? We have Josie's experience we're comparing to, we're extrapolating to, like, the world. It's, I don't know. If you had to give this book a rating from 1 to 10, what would you rate it? Probably give it a 3. <laughs> just the vagueness and, I mean, I just, it didn't answer any questions. Like, it didn't, <laughs> it told a story but didn't answer any of the questions like throughout it, I guess. Well, and I think it's like frustrating because I think the concept of being lifted is interesting and it could have been this really cool thing that just wasn't explained. It's like left up to interpretation. Yeah. But too much. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's also, it's also been done before. Like this is, you were like talking about her. I was like, there's multiple movies. I think there's like a, there's been movies since like the nineties about, um, you know, artificial robots, um, and what that means for society. So that part's already sort of been done. And then the other themes weren't developed enough to say something new about that. Yeah, I agree. Erica, what would you rate the book? I would also rate it as like a three or four. I feel like there was so much potential, but it was too many strands that weren't fully flushed out like is this about climate change (laughs) yeah again like what and yeah and I also found the writing to be really really difficult I felt like the characters spoke to each other like from a 1950s sitcom I'm like who speaks like this (laughs) you know Rick I'd like to bring you into the kitchen to ask you a question but only if you're ready to answer the question okay, ask me the question. Like, it's just the whole thing was just bizarre. Like, the language is so stilted. I would also give this a three or maybe a four out of ten because I feel like the same thing. I feel like constantly we were being introduced to plot points which on their own could have been an entire story. This could have been a story about climate change or about family or about technology in the workforce or about... I have just so many options. Yes, about migration. I don't know. It could be anything. And we were constantly introduced to these plot points that I felt like we could maybe have a conversation on, but we were only given a sentence or two. And I feel like it's upsetting because this writer and this book were both extremely hyped and like really like talked about. And I went into this expecting a lot. What else are you reading right now? I just want to say thank you because I've been in a lull of reading. Like, I haven't read anything in, like, a really long time. So, even though I didn't, like, love this book, it forced me to read it. We Um, talk a lot about reading lulls, like, and how people get into different... Like, Erica doesn't like to start a new book. I, like, 
if I haven't read a good book, it's really hard for me to start a second one. So this is good. Like people get into reading walls and like what gets you out of it or why is good. Okay. The next book I'm going to read is Leaving Time by Jodi Picoult with my mom. So cute. So yeah. fun. Oh yeah. Her, Jen and her mom, Buddy, read a lot of books. Oh, I love that. Hi, Jen's mom. So we're reading the book together. She also likes the pod. Yeah, she listens. <laughs> Shout out to Deb. We should also say, so next week we have the special episode coming about Detransition Baby with Tori Peters, and the following week we will start Of Women in Salt, so hopefully you've gotten your copy. We're going to be reading Of Women in Salt over three episodes, so it's a shorter book. We'll probably have about 60 to 70 pages. Um, I'll include in the next episode the actual breakdown for the first week of what we're reading, but you can also check our Instagram at booktalk underscore podcast for the schedule okay well let me ask you what else are you reading right now i'm currently reading fake accounts by lauren oler her the writing is really really dense so you're uh, similar to clara and the sun you're you're with this one person and you're in it you're in her thoughts and her thoughts are on the opposite end of clara like hyper intelligent very dense using really big words um is the point but yeah it's so it's about this woman who um is dating this guy she finds out basically that he's a conspiracy theorist on instagram and yeah the first there's a big twist that i did i actually audibly gasped when it happened so read until the twist and after that it gets like i think once you realize that her witty horrificness is supposed to be funny then it kind of like it, it goes from there lots of great lots of interesting insights into like relationships white femaleness and technology so yeah I'm liking it so far but it, it's really hard to read I'll say it's it reminds me of infinite jest almost in terms of like the sentences themselves are difficult to get through and it's like one massive paragraphs like half the page so not for everybody I am currently reading The Lost Apothecary, which I feel like there are a lot of mixed reviews on that I've been trying really hard not to um, read. And I will say uh, the one consistent review is the cover is beautiful, and I will um, second that. But the book so far is good. I think if something major doesn't happen, my view is going to be that it's pretty dramatic. But it's it goes between two time periods, and I do feel like it so far is doing a really good job of that, like the 1700s and present day. Um, in direct contrast to how I felt about it when they did it in The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Also, why am I reading two books that do that at the same time? I don't know. <laughs> Fascinating. Is it? I did get a new book today. I like the cover already. I know. It's going to be like a rom-com. But sometimes I feel like, especially, you know me, when I get like stressed, I need a good rom-com. So this is People We Meet on Vacation. I'm excited. I feel like it's going to be cute. So I'm hoping to finish Lost Apothecary tonight so I can start that. I usually read a rom-com in like two days. Also, funny story. <laughs> My friend Amy, who listens to the pod, hi Amy, was <laughs> texted me and she was like, I'm driving home right now and I'm listening to Red, White and Blue, Red, White and Royal Blue on my audiobook and like holy soft porn. <laughs> I was like, oh, are your children in the car? She's like, yes, they are. I was like, okay. <laughs> They're very young, but it was very funny. I was like, is Dave in the car? 
Uh, but I was like, just finish those. Gets good. And then listen to the pod about how everyone else hated it in my whole life. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Book Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney. With production support from Dan White, our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week. Okay, yes, I would also give it a three out of four as my rating because I do think like... Wait, a three or a four? <laughs> Sorry. Three out of four. You love I this would- book. <laughs> <laughs>